It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to the Jason and the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Really appreciate you joining us. Uh, we're going to have a discussion with somebody you may not know. You may know him really well. You may be a family member, but you know what? I think you're really going to enjoy this because we're going to be talking to Steve Womack. He is the congressman from Arkansas, somebody I spent quite a bit of time with in Congress because I really did just enjoy his company. He has served the great state of Arkansas for quite some time, served in the National Guard uh, overseas. Uh, it's just a wonderful human being. I may disagree with him. You may disagree with him a little bit politically here and there, but not much because um, he's just a, a wonderful human being. And I think uh, our discussion will bear that out. So I appreciate that. We're going to talk a little bit about the news. We're going to highlight the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we'll get right into the conversation with Congressman Steve Womack. But a couple thoughts on the news. And I, I want to, you know, as you as the news kind of, you get to digest it more and more. You know, you react, re, you know, immediately. But then as the, the, the facts kind of filter out a little bit more and you get more cl- clarity, you can see through the fog, you can see different angles a little bit better. Some things become even more offensive um as and that and that's the case with a a couple of things uh three things actually that i want to mention uh number one is what happened in in san francisco you know gavin newsom the governor of of uh california used to be the mayor there uh in san francisco and remember how they cleaned up the streets they you know as, as if the street sweeper went through they got rid of the homelessness they they cleared the streets just where the political leaders were coming you know the the uh uh xi jinping was coming to town from china so they had to clean that up president biden was going to be there even gavin newsom sort of joked about the fact that yeah when you you know when when uh, friends come over you you straighten up he said something to that effect but i think it's even more offensive now for the longtime business owners and residents there was a story uh, on foxnews.com about the den of homelessness that has returned. In many ways, it's worse. You know, it's as if the people of California, the Americans who pay their taxes and live there, and they pay a lot of taxes in California, they're just not as important to the political leaders there in California because the homelessness, the crime, the other things, it's returned full-fledged as if the other event never happened. They didn't use the world leaders coming to town as an excuse to make a fundamental change and then fix the problem. Oh no, they put window dressing on it and now they've gone back to their old ways. And the more I look at that, the, I just think how sad it is. I was born up in Northern California. I lived there only until I was about seven, but they've, they've destroyed that place. It's just not the happy idyllic place that I remember when I was just a little, little kid. Next thing that's out there are these schools, uh, these Ivy League schools. The more I just sit back and look and digest the idea that these leaders were given a week's notice to think about the answer about 
what a Jewish student or other ethnic minority might feel like on a, the campus of an Ivy League school and asked a simple question about genocide, right? Genocide is killing people. If people were marching and calling for the extermination or killing of a particular ethnic group or religious group, that's unacceptable. Now, they hid behind the, oh, well, it's free speech and we have to look at the context. But you know that's inconsistent. You know, you had Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State, was invited to go speak. I believe it was Harvard. And they got canceled. Why? Because he had conservative thoughts. But this is far beyond that. And I think what's happening now is that particularly people of Jewish descent or Jewish relatives or Jewish blood, whatever you want to call it, are now recognizing there is no home for them in the, today's Democratic Party. That the Democratic Party of old used to be able to say, hey, we're liberal, we, you know, all comers, um, you can say what you want to say, we're going to protect your free speech. But now today's Democratic Party has morphed into, but only for certain protected classes. If you don't fit our mold of what we think you should look like and what you should think, then there's no home for you. And they're actually finding more home actually with conservatives and Republicans who believe in the rule of law and want to have consistency on free speech and other things across the board. And they'll yell that, hey, Republicans and MAGA Republicans are all fascists. Quite the opposite. It's sort of projection on their way, on their side to totally turn the tables. It's exactly what they're doing. If you don't meet their set of standards, then you have no place here. And unfortunately, that was on full display. You know, it's amazing. Again, the college presidents have a week to prepare. They have hours worth of questioning. And then the next day, they got to come out and apologize. Like, really? You had an open book test and you couldn't pass it by answering a simple question. If it was intimidating or harassment or pick, pick your word about calling for the extermination of Jews and genocide. That's what it is. That's what Hitler advocated. And you know what? If Hitler himself was on the campus, I don't think those university presidents would call him out. And that's what's just absolutely sad and devastating to so many people. All right, last one. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio, great state of Florida, called this out. You know, these advertisers have decided they want to boycott X, you know, formerly TikTok. They want to boycott him because they don't like the fact that Elon Musk uh, actually wants to have openness and have a good, vibrant dialogue there on X and allow both sides to make their arguments. That's too much or they get so triggered by that that they decided, hey, we're going to not advertise on X like Disney, but they're going to go ahead and advertise on TikTok, which is a Chinese propaganda machine. They much rather get in bed and snuggle up with the Chinese and all the atrocities, all the human atrocities that they commit there. They'd much rather snuggle up to TikTok than they would X. I mean, that's just stunning. And I think people ought to digest that and look at that and say, really? These great American iconic companies would much rather be supportive of what the Chinese are doing than what Elon Musk is doing with X by having both sides not be suppressed and allow their information to get out. That was Elon Musk's big crime. Nevertheless, all right, time to bring on the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. 
All right, let's go to Seattle this time, uh, where evidently um, in a middle school class, this is an ethnic studies world history class. The allegation is that these ethnic studies world history class, they were given a test, true, false. And one of the questions was, only women can get pregnant. And evidently at least one student, if not more, said, only women can get pregnant. Yes, true. And they got they got dinged as as getting the answer wrong. Are you kidding me? That's really where we're at. You, you, first of all, it's world, uh, it's ethnic studies, world history, and the question is only women can get pregnant, and the student gets dinged for a wrong answer by saying that is a true statement. Only women can get pregnant. You know what? Pretty stupid. Pretty stupid. I look. I just, I can't even begin to explain how idiotic this is that we're having these types of discussions and these poor students who are just trying to do things. Really? What does that have to even do with the class curriculum? And, sorry folks, but whoever the teacher was, uh, I think they got that one wrong. All right. Time to bring on Steve Womack. Steve Womack, just wonderful guy. We'll go through his history. We'll talk, have a little discussion about his background, but he's the congressman from Arkansas. All-around good guy, uh, served a long time in, in the National Guard, but uh, served as local government, just a wonderful family there in, in Arkansas. I happen to get to know the family a little bit. So let's bring on Steve Womack. Hello. Steve Womack, Jason Chaffetz. Hey, Jace, what's going on, man? How are you? Congressman, I should be more formal with you, but you know, no, you and I no, know no. each other pretty well. No. No, if you called me congressman, I'd wonder who you thought you were talking to. <laughs> you know, one of the great joys is serving in Congress like I did is, uh, you know, you get to meet people, interact with people that you wouldn't normally meet and interact with and get to know. I mean, you, and uh, you were one of those guys, and consequently, you ended up being one of my favorite guys there. I just think you're a rock-solid human being and a good friend, and um, I'm glad to have you come join us on the Jason and the House podcast. Yeah, well, I don't want this to sound like a, um, like a, you know, a, a, a mutual uh, love yeah. of uh, bro, bromance or whatever you call those things. Uh, but I, I feel very strongly, same way you felt. You know, Jason, you and I both know that up here, it can be both a lonely place, but it can also be a place where you can. Uh, have some relationships that you develop over time that you would not have otherwise had, uh, but only made possible through your close association with colleagues. And uh, and yours, your, your and my relationship is certainly fits into that category, because I don't think our paths would have ever crossed had no, had this no. situation not been there. So uh, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. It's been a blessing to me. It's enriched my life in a remarkable way. And you and your family, you know, you and I have traveled together, uh, and we've shared a lot of time together about the issues facing our country, and nothing brings people together any more than a, than a shared belief in, uh, in love of country. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, yeah, we won't wax on that, uh, on, on that, but I, and I don't even know how we initially bumped into each other, other than, you know, there's 200 plus Republicans and, and, but we weren't on any committees together. Um, yeah, but I, I do remember, um, I, I, well, I remember one of the things that brought us together, if not originally, but certainly one of the things up front was you and I 
were engaged in an issue that uh, eventually was settled by the Supreme Court of the United States regarding what we called at the time e-fairness. Uh, yeah, yeah. That 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 whole and and I was carrying the bill, and that you were moving into uh, chairman of judiciary, and I and and I needed somebody's help in that regard, and you became kind of my go-to guy, and I think you picked up the legislation from there. It changed its name along the way, but it was all about fairness in retail sales. And um, yeah, like I say, the Supreme Court fixed it, but you and I conspired on the legislation that we were trying to move through that would have done that um, if the Supreme Court had not been successful in its deliberations. Well, and I also remember I, I went on a CODEL, which is a congressional delegation trip. And, and this particular one had some, um, let's say, some very sensitive parts to it where there's highly classified. And it was uh, me traveling just with a, a one staffer and then somebody from uh, the Navy, uh, the United States Navy as a liaison. Um, you, When you travel overseas like that, you usually have one of the branches of the military uh, escort you and take you through and help you with all the logistics of travel and security and getting in and out of country and whatnot. And I w went to a place uh, there down um, Sinai, in, in, shift, <laughs> in Egypt. And I walk into this, um, and I can't remember the exact name of it, but I, I, I walk into the building and kind of the reception and, you know, instantly you kind of look up on the wall of people that have helped command that post. And there's your picture. And it was right there. <laughs> and I, I, I was highly impressed. Well, you know, that was um, about seven or eight months of deployment in uh, in the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula at a place called Sharm el-Sheikh. Yeah, Sharm el-Sheikh. Uh, yeah, South Camp is where the U.S. battalion is located. By the way, the headquarters of the force now is down there. Uh, they made some changes, but um, but I had the pleasure and the I say the pleasure, the duty and the pleasure after 9/11 to take my battalion to that area where we did the observe and report mission of the multinational force and observers, and I commanded that post and um, and of course they have my picture up there as a past commander and. You got to see it. I remember you sending it to me thinking, do you know this guy? And uh, <laughs> you know, my hair was a little bit darker at the time, uh, not as many wrinkles. And but that was uh, that was a big part of my life. Well, let's go back on that because you've served your country. You served your state. You served. The, I mean, you've, you've you've done so many things and you've been serving in Congress and you play a pivotal role on so many aspects of um, getting things done behind the scenes. That's what the scenes, that's what I've always appreciated. But you, you just, you really, in your heart of hearts, do want to do what's right for the country and get things done. And, and there's always craziness going on all the time. I mean, I, we have a segment of the podcast. There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And, and, um, but let, let's go back, go, go back to, and, and what, by the way, one of the other things I've gotten to know, I, I got to know along the way was, was your father. And he even did his radio yeah. show back in there. But I want to go back to I was born in and then kind of walk us through, you know, what life was like, where you were born, where, you know, how you became you, essentially. Real, real easy. Uh, so I was born February 18th, 1957, on the exact same day that Vanna White was born. Now, I, I've never met Vanna. <laughs> 
but she and I are the same age. Okay, exactly. Uh, she, by the way, she's done a little better over time than I have, uh, but that's a, another story. Uh, Russellville, Arkansas, uh, St. Mary's Hospital, still standing today out on West Main Street. And right after I was born, my family, my dad uh, was a, uh, he, he was a radio guy, uh, still is. He's 89, by the way, Jason. Um, great. Moved, moved to Missouri. So I was an infant, born at Russellville, moved up to Missouri, lived for about five years in Higginsville, Missouri, uh, northwest part of the state. Then five years, when I was five, at kindergarten age, my family relocated to Moberly, Missouri, north central Missouri, just north of Columbia, where my dad became the sales manager at the radio station there. And he was the broadcast voice of the junior college basketball team, the, the Greyhounds. And I went K through 10 in Moberly. And in 1973, when I was 16, my dad and his boss got crossways over, all, of all things, his military service. That was before USERA and all of the other protective legislation. And, uh, and he told my dad, you're either going to have to get out of the guard or, uh, you know, you're going to have to do something else with your life. And, and dad was not going to quit the guard. He had 18 years. He didn't want to lose his retirement. Wow. Yeah. So he left the broadcast business there and he took us back home to Russellville. So we relocated to Russellville my junior year in high school. I was, a, I played sports and, uh, and you know, I, is we're in the summer and it's in August and two a days have already started. You're an old football player. Um, and, and I decided because it was a new change of scenery and all that, I, I just, you know, probably wasn't going to play it, which was breaking my heart. And I was at my grandmother's house, uh, out on the lake, Lake Dardanelle, uh, on a August afternoon and the phone rang and it was the football coach at Russellville. And he said, Hey, uh, let me introduce myself. I'm the football coach, Lewis McCollum. And, uh, I understand you've just moved down here from Missouri and you play football. And I said, well, yes, sir. And he says, well, why aren't you out here? And <laughs> now, said, how big is his schools? Yeah. How big uh, is this place? It, it, it was a, it was a triple a school at the time. It now qualifies for six a, I mean, it's, Oh, a, okay. It's so you had a lot of students. Yeah. 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 Oh gosh. Yeah. And, and this, here's what this football coach told me. He said, well, I expect to see you tomorrow morning at eight o'clock here. <laughs> yes, sir. And I did. Uh, and I, I played both my junior and senior years. What were you started, playing? Uh, well, I was a wide receiver in a wishbone formation, which those two, you shouldn't use wide receiver and wishbone in the same sentence. Uh, <laughs> but because we didn't throw much. Yeah. Look, you I, were uh, blocking. They needed your blocking yeah. skills. Now, actually, we were messengers. We carried the play in and out. Yeah, but uh, you were smart but, enough to actually remember what the coach told you on the sideline and regurgitate yeah. it to the quarterback. I was yeah. really good at that. Well, it was <laughs> Jason. It was one thing. It was either split right or split left because that's where the receiver went. Because you only had one, uh, and it was uh, you know everything else was based on the triple option, right? And right. the quarterback, you know, he made his read off the end and and either handed the ball off or pitched it. Yeah. Now, if you were a running back, it was a little different. 
in that you didn't bring the play in and out, but you were always an option, so you always had to be on your toes. But a wide receiver, nah, not in a wishbone. Yeah. You just go down and block somebody <laughs> and, uh, and, and then go get the next play. What did you learn from football, though? What, what did it teach you? Best, best uh, teaching platform ever, aside from maybe the infantry squad that we can talk about. But Because here's, here's the thing about football. <laughs> It's about 11 people, each with a specific assignment, to go out and do block their assignment, you know, be on the right snap count, do all those kinds of things. And then the success of the organization, in this case, maybe the offense, the success of the organization is based on everybody doing their job and being on the same page and an adequate read of what the – the defenders are going to do what the enemy is going to do. Right. And so you, you can apply this, uh, throughout life. You can apply it to, uh, organizations. You can apply it to competitive business. You can apply it to military. You can apply it a- along the way. So that's what football taught me. It taught me to be part of a team that my job as part of the team was vitally important to the outcome, you know, to the success of the team. Uh, and, and then I also learned, that you should expect that when you break huddle and you call a play, that the guy on your left and the guy on your right are going to be giving 100%. And that's an expectation that I carry with me today, that when I show up for work, uh, everybody in my organization is going to be uh, giving a hundred percent. Now it changes a little bit when you get to Congress because then you got a, too many free agents. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you got the, you know five hundred and thirty-five people, and and everybody's now growing up. Did you have brothers, sisters? I got six brothers and sisters. Uh, I've got four sisters, and uh, and two two two. There are seven kids. I, maybe my math wow. is bad, but there, no, that's there were right. Three. Yep. Three boys, four girls, uh, and there were. I, I do remember this, Jason, like it was yesterday. That be, we, we, back in the nineteen sixties and seventies, you know. I mean, like, my dad was a broadcaster. He wasn't a wealthy guy, but we had a big family. And right. I just remember there were there's seven kids, and there were only six pork chops on Sunday night. <laughs> so you had to be fast. Uh, in in my household, uh, no, we uh, we had a you know brothers and sisters all important to me, all still around today, all doing well, living independently, you know, uh, with families. Uh, my mom and dad are both still alive. My mom fell uh, a couple of days ago and oh. fractured her cheekbone. She's going to be ninety in December, but she was walking uh, my son's dog for him and and tripped and fell. Dad just turned 89, still on the radio every day. I've been on uh, his show a couple times. You've been on his show, yeah. And uh, and you need to you need to come back on his show. He'd love to have you. But anyway, uh, but so things. Hey, things are really good in my family. My grandmother on my mom's side lived to 104. Wow, that's some and, good and, genes you got there. And, and so, Jason, I got to tell you this story. So I go down there. She was in Russellville. I was in northwest Arkansas. I went down to see her, and my mom lived right down the street from her. So anytime a family member was coming to visit Grandma, my mom would meet us at the nursing home. 
So, but in this case, I decided I'm going to go by myself. I'm not going to tell anybody. And I happened to be the mayor of Rogers at the time. So I walked in the nursing home and I said, I'm here to see Hester Kennedy. And this nurse says, well, can I tell her who's calling, you know, coming to see her? And I said, no, I want to tell her myself. Because my, my grandmother by that time was blind, okay? Hmm. And she can, mumbled, but she was at the dining table and had the bib around her neck. They were eating. Sure, sure, yeah. And, and she says, Hester, you have a visitor. And she says, well, who is it? And he, she says, well, I'm going to let him tell you. So I said, Hester, have you ever heard of the city Rogers, Arkansas? And she said, my grandson is the mayor of Rogers, Arkansas. <laughs> Didn't have her teeth in. And I said, is he a pretty good grandson? <laughs> and she said, well, he's not my favorite, but he's okay. <laughs> Because she must, so, I mean, how many grandkids did she have at that point? Oh, she, she had, had a ton of them. A right. ton of, I, I can't even remember. I, I could count them, I guess. But she had, I don't know, 15 or 20 grandkids. Yeah. Half of them were out of my family. So, yeah. That That is that is awesome. You know, it, it's amazing. I, I've told this story before, but Julie, my on my wife's side of her family, her mom lived to be, or her grandmother lived to be uh, 100. And what was amazing is that he, she was born in 1899, but she lived to the year 2000. She touched three centuries. Who does that? That is absolutely I, and, incredible. And, and what that generation went through, especially lived that long, to the, the number of changes in technology and from yeah. mobile phones, just telephones, television, airplanes, all of that was just new, right? And, um, Unbelievable. To, to see those types of changes, you know, my, my wife's father passed away uh, earlier this year. Great man, um, you know, in his mid-90s. And he, what I loved about him, he had a couple, a couple uh, attitude uh, approaches. Uh, first of all, you never see him grumpy, never said a harsh word, served in the military, served in Vietnam, served in, uh, you know, he was... Uh, did just amazing military service, great orthopedic surgeon, you know, was in the Qantas club the whole bit and uh, had six great prosperous kids. And, and I, I could just wax on about all the, all the good things that he did. But I remember he said, you got to use it or lose it. You know, motion is motion is lotion. Like you got to keep going. I mean, you just, whatever yeah. it is, you got to just plow right through it, use it or lose it. And, and he kept this like super good attitude and he was a voracious reader, but the kids got together and they decided they were going to give, um, uh, you know, their dad uh, an an iWatch. He was into his iPhone, but man, he loved his watch. He he got it. He was learning how to do all the apps and everything. He just thought that was the most fascinating thing, um, and so futuristic. And I, I think that sort of attitude. It just permeates, and I know it affected me and my wife, you know, Julie. Well, I will tell you, just hearing you tell the story, um, th this is part of what's wrong with present generations, in my view, and that is sometimes we ignore our past. We fail to learn from previous generations. And um, and there's a one of my favorite old folk songs you've probably never heard, uh, called Water from Another Time that kind of explains it. 
And what it's about, the song is about an old, rusty well pump. And now some of your older listeners will understand this because they've been around it. But in the old days, you know, you you had to pump water from a from a well and and you had to prime that pump with the previous use of the pump. So you always left a cup of water out from the previous use so you could prime the pump the next time you need to use it. And the, and the lyric says, it don't take much, but you got to have some. The old ways help the new ways come. Uh, something about uh, be ready for the next time by leaving a little water from another time. So that I mean that, and I got part of those lyrics wrong, but I, I, yeah, the is, message is you, yeah. You just described listening to your dad or or your or was it your father 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 in law fa- yeah father in law that we learn from from history. We learn from the experiences of the past, and look, it hadn't it hadn't always been a bed of roses, and and sometimes generations today fail to understand that. Um, the, the the trip through time that our parents and our grandparents had can be very informational for us, very beneficial to us in uh, trying to chart the course that that we're on right now. And I, and I never failed to to do that. And my dad is eighty nine. My mom's going to be ninety. So uh, I, I get a heavy dose of that every time I talk to them because they're both around. They're both coherent. They're both living independently, and though not married anymore, but but I, I learn from them based on their life experiences. And I hope, Jason, that one day our kids and grandkids will look back and say, man, I learned so much from uh, from my dad and uh, in, in my family over time. And if we can leave that kind of a legacy, then that would be good for us. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Congressman Steve Womack right after this. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Yeah, you know, it is um, it is something special and something that does need to get passed on. So let's go back to your high school experience. So you're, yeah, so, you're going through high so school. I, you're Now yeah, you're on the football any- team. Yeah, I played high school sports, scored a few touchdowns, uh, you know, did did pretty well, even though I was only there two years. And then we have a college in that town, Arkansas Tech University, and I went there because I liked my mom's cooking, didn't want to live in a dorm. I got an ROTC <laughs> scholarship, and uh, and I went through college in eight semesters, never took a summer class. Uh, my brother was a West Point gr- uh, graduate two years ahead of me. So he was at West Point while I'm at Arkansas Tech. I wanted longer hair. I wanted to be in a fraternity and wanted to date girls. And Jim kept saying, well, come to West Point. I said, well, you can't do any of that up there at West Point. So, but I got an ROTC scholarship. And so I was doing ROTC and college at the same time and then graduated in 1979, got my diploma and took my oath as a commissioned officer and uh, went straight into the National Guard because at that time you could do that. They were, they were trimming the ranks of the military, so I, I didn't have to go on active duty. Became an armor officer, went to the armor school, uh, came back, got in a CAV unit there in Arkansas, tanks and armored personnel carriers, and spent the first uh, 10 years of my military career in the armor branch, and then later branch transferred to infantry. Uh, but right after college, Jason, I left Russellville, 
and moved to northwest Arkansas, where I live now. And my dad and I founded the radio station that he operates still today. That was what? November 9th, 1979, when I flipped the switch and uh, put a brand new station on the air. I'll bet you, haven't checked this out, but I think I'm the only member of Congress who has, uh, I know presently, who has flipped a switch that created a brand new radio station. Yeah, and it's oh, on the air true. still today. And, uh, and I did that for 11 years. So that gets us up to 1990. I managed the radio station. Then in 1990, uh, I had an opportunity to go on active military duty through the Guard as an assistant professor of military science at the University of Arkansas. And I was going to do that three years. I ended up doing six, uh, made major during that time. And then I left uh, the university in 1996 and came back to the radio business. But it was only short-lived. I only did six more months there uh, because I just had kind of lost touch with broadcasting. I wanted to spread my wings and do something else. And I ended up going to work for Merrill Lynch as a financial consultant. And uh, went to work in a brokerage firm in Rogers, Arkansas. Worked for a guy named George Westmoreland. And uh, and then oh, a couple of months into that, uh, I, they told me, called, he came in one day and he said, hey, you got to go take your Series 7 exam. And I yeah, said, familiar with that. Oh, really? Yeah. I got to do that? And he said, oh, yeah, you got to do that. You got to, we, we should have been studying all along. Anyway, I went down, took my Series 7 exam. Longest test I've ever taken in my life. And, uh, and I passed. Uh, I don't know how, but I did. And uh, and I did uh, broker services for two years at Merrill, and then um, th then it, then something kind of miraculous happened. Uh, and and I talk about this a lot, uh, particularly with young people, because they ask me how you got into politics, and I'll tell you how I got into politics. Uh, while I was at Merrill Lynch, I was interested in my city government, and I had uh, won a seat on the Rogers City Council, and I was a council member. Part-time job, you know, just... Now, how big a city is this? How, how many? Uh, at the time, 35, 38,000, something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty good size. But I was a member of the council, and I was on the finance committee. And anyway, I won't bore you with all the details, but there were some challenges going on in the town. And I approached the mayor back then about uh, the fact that we were kind of dying on the vine, and it was a growth area, and we could do better, and he ought to do better, and... Some of his people were the reason we weren't doing better. And he got real angry with me. And and I told him, I said, you know, John, if you don't do something about this, somebody could run against you in a race and and beat you. <laughs> and boy, he said the magic word. <laughs> Why don't you? And, oh. <laughs> uh, and so I. Uh, How old were you at this it. point? Uh. Hmm. Well, that was 1998. I mean, so just I roughly. Was, yeah, I was 40, 41. Okay, so you, like that. yeah, you, you had a little uh, yeah. wear on the tires there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. My hair's not quite as silver, but uh, <laughs> but I, but I, he he just said, "Why don't you?" And, and look, he, he the reason he, he said it kind of smart aleck, smart alecky. You know, he was he was just basically pulling my chain. Yeah. And I decided to do it, so I I ran, knocked on a whole bunch of doors. And uh, and pulled off an upset, uh, fifty-seven forty-three, 
beat him 14 points. Wow, and that's that's uh, that's impressive, actually. And that that started a series of 12 years, two reelections, four-year terms, uh, where I was presiding as the mayor, strong mayor, form of government, Rogers, Arkansas, did about a billion dollars in development, and uh, made a name for us, myself, and did a lot of great things, delivered on a lot of promises. And uh, and then in 2010, so we're getting close to the end now, 2010, John Bozeman, the representative for that area, decided to run for the Senate. And I had all these people saying, Steve, you got to you got to move to Congress. So I ran for Congress, eight way primary, head to head runoff, then a general election. And now, 13 years later, I'm still here. So that's okay, uh, but, but how'd that conversation go? And I mean, it's one thing to be mayor. Another to run for Congress, but when you first said, "Hey, you know, I want to do that," what, what, like, where did you go? Like, when you sat down with your wife and said, "Hey, honey, <clears throat> I got a really good idea." <laughs> like, let's. Yeah. I I got all this free time. I got nothing else going on. I mean, wh- how'd that conversation go? All right. Well, there have been three conversations. Okay. The first conversation, <laughs> I'm, I'm a broker at Merrill Lynch, making really good money, done at 30 yeah. every day. Okay. Right. And I come home and I say, I'm going to run for Mayor Rogers. Pays about mm, 40 grand a year. Right, right. My wife says, You're kidding me. <laughs> no, honey, I'm not kidding. Um, they did, by the way, give me a raise after I was elected uh, that made it a little more uh, beneficial. Uh, right. So that was the first conversation. Second conversation. Yeah, but it's not like, time. yeah, I'm sure that's oh, yeah. not like the pinnacle of the Merrill Lynch hierarchy either. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, the second conversation was when I decided to run for Congress. You're going to do what? And and I said, yeah, well, you know, you're in politics now. You've been doing it for 12 years as a mayor, as a first lady of the city. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. And uh, and, and I'm going to I'm going to try to go to Washington and so that conversation happened. And then when when our governor term limited, my name surfaced in Arkansas. This was before Sarah Sanders said she was going to run. and there, But there was going to be this vacancy. And I had all these people saying, well, Mac, you're a former mayor. You're a congressman. You're a military guy. You, you, you ought to run for governor. You ought to be our governor. I had all these people saying it. So I went home and I had this conversation with Terry. And you know Terry. And, and I said, uh, honey, they think I ought to run for governor. And she said, you know, I don't think a single man's going to get elected governor. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Congressman Steve Womack right after this. <laughs> and there was this pregnant pause. And uh, so I'm still in Congress. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> she is wise. She's smart. She's perceptive. She gets yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's... Oh, I- but that's that's it, and and now here we are in 2023 into 2023, and I'm still in Congress, and and I my life has been blessed in so many ways. I just can't begin to count them, and uh, just the close associations I've had with people down through the years, the experiences I've had, the leadership lessons I've had, all of those things. Uh, you know, if the Lord took me home today or tomorrow, uh, man, I've had a charmed life, and uh, I can't argue with, with that. Certainly got a lot more things I want to do, but but I've been blessed so far. Well, 
you know, and that's why we need, look, we need good people. I, I don't expect everybody to agree with me. That's not the way our founders set it up. If if they wanted a glide path for bills that just sailed through and speed was the the primary issue and all that, they certainly wouldn't have set up a Congress the way they did with the checks and the balances and the vetoes and all that. I mean, they could have done it very differently, but it is kind of interesting to me when you go to the floor of the house and you just think, Oh my gosh, how did that person get elected? I mean, did anybody meet that person? Like, you know, how did they get there? But you do find it is a, it truly is a cross section of America. And there's some people that, you know, it's, it's hard to bite your tongue sometime and be patient when you see some of the craziness. Tell, tell, explain from your perspective how like social media and other things have, have affected the way Congress actually operates maybe versus the way it should operate. Well, you make a great point. And, and let me say this. I, I'm not an expert on this stuff. Uh, in fact, uh, social media was a, you know kind of coming into play back when I ran in 2010. And people kept talking about how it was going to be a kind of a way of life and it was going to be you got you got to do this. You got to do it well. This right. is how campaigns are going to be done in the future and all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of dismissive of it. I still don't understand it. And I have really good people doing it. And and so, yes, we do do it. <laughs> yeah. I I personally don't tweet. I personally don't post on Facebook and all that. But my my campaign team does. Uh, and and other people do that for me so that I'm not, you know, just uh, completely way out of bounds. But I personally don't do that very well. But it has changed everything. And here's uh, it. There's a whole lot of things. I mean, we could do a whole segment about it. But this is the takeaway from it. And that is it has created, I think, a platform right now of partial truths so that some things can be posted and have a shred of truth to it. And then it defines, it creates the narrative overall for whatever that issue is. Uh, and, and it may be based on just a, just a very thin thread of something truthful. So right. I always say this. I'm a former Rotarian, and, and if you've ever been to a Rotary Club, you know that they do what they call the four-way test. And the first item on the four-way test is, is it the truth? And what is elusive in Washington is the full truth. You get pieces, bits and pieces of it. And then people take bits and pieces of the truth, and then they shape it into the narrative that they want to create. And so I'm always telling people, do your own homework. You know, do your own research. Create your own opinions. Don't rely on something you have seen on Facebook or some other social site. Uh, and, And don't necessarily take what you hear uh, and don't take this the wrong way, Jason, on a cable news network. Don't, don't, don't just take that and make it verbatim, take it verbatim and create your opinion based on the totality of what that person or what that posting happened to say. L- listen to it, hear it, read it, uh, but go do your own research and do, do some of your own uh, uh, fact-finding analysis on whether it is or isn't, you know, as it is purported to be. And that's what I think is hurting Congress right now is that there's so many things out there where people don't have a full grasp of the details. They only have little bits and pieces of it. Uh, and and therefore, people like me in Congress uh, are, are sometimes having to spend more time 
debunking something that has been said or reported before we can actually help them understand what the actual truth is about the issue or about the cause. And so that that becomes very frustrating for me. And you got to do it in such a way that you don't come across condescending, that you know everything and nobody know nobody else knows anything. But right, right. That that has been a big challenge for us all. Yeah, no, I look and I, I think there's you know, there's some people that just play to the social media and, and, and that gets frustrating. It's it's sort of bumper sticker politics. I mean, you know, a bumper sticker on a car it'll kind of tell you what their point of view is, but you're right. If you don't dive a little deeper, I mean, we talk about weighty issues like military and funding and, and healthcare and all, all of these types of things. And you, you can't give a synopsis or justice to it in 90 seconds or 45 seconds, but you know, I think there's value in it in that you, Oh, how should I think through this issue? Or it certainly is a good way to fact check people and fast, <laughs> you know, yeah. you play a video of somebody who is saying something just the opposite when they were in power. And now that the Republicans are in charge, suddenly a Democrat has a different perspective on how they should be treated. You know, I the think other those thing are it's done, Jason, is mm-hmm. it, it, remember the camera is always, always on. The right. recorder is always going. So you got to be really careful today what you say and do just in a casual conversation or in a casual appearance because you never know when somebody is uh, uh, just, you know, yeah. picking up on it and, uh, and, and that happens a lot. Yeah, you get a phrase or one sentence and you're like, wait, 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 wait. It's a little different than that. But again, that's why you got to have good people there and that are willing to work with both sides of the aisle. I'm not one that believes that all good ideas come from one side and all the other, the other side of the aisle has all the bad ideas. I, I, I don't buy that. I, I think you'd be naive to say that uh, you have all the the uh, the answers, and that's what I appreciate you. You got open ear, but you know, got history and life and experience. Sometimes I have young people say, "Oh, how do I get involved in politics?" And I say, "Well, the first thing you do is don't get involved in politics. Actually, go out and do something, and then you got something to lean on." You know, I worry about these. I think it's great when these interns come out; they get a DC experience. They they uh, they have that, but then go do something. It's these uh, lifers that I that I worry about. But nevertheless, my little speech uh, for the day. In order to get to know you a little bit better, Congressman Steve Womack, uh, I got some rapid questions I need to ask you as we kind of wrap up here. Let's go. All right, you ready? First concert you ever attended? The first concert I think was David Clayton Thomas, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. 1970s, mid 1970s, at the Stroop Building at Arkansas Tech. Now, I was a college student, um, and and I think that was the first one. Could have been Sticks. They may have come sooner, uh, but it was Sticks, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Doobie Brothers. In that era, those were some of the concerts I attended as a college student um, when I was uh, when I was young. I don't think I. I don't recall doing any concerts when I was in high school, but remember two years at Russellville high school, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't know a lot of people. So I wasn't out and about. We didn't have any concerts come to town back in those days. Uh, Hey, if if you, if you had sticks coming to town this year, this year, Julie and I, they were down in St. George at the Tuacon theater and we went to see sticks. And I think it's only one of the original guys. uh, But the, when they play their whole concert, you're like, I know every song. Well, there was one or two I didn't know. But 
I like th- those are songs, you know, from my childhood that uh, it was kind of fun. It was best, really fun. What about best concert? Best concert. Let me tell you. <sighs> yeah. And don't don't laugh. Okay. Best I'm already concert, laughing. <laughs> the best concert I ever attended for the showmanship, basically more than anything, Barry Manilow. Really. Barry Manilow. Of course, I love the song Mandy. Uh, that was one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh, hey, these love songs. He kinda, had I'm, I'm hits. I mean, he even wrote a song oh. about all the hits he had. <laughs> but and, and he did all those commercials. He he yeah. did he he did a lot of voiceover commercials. But anyway, he did a whole series in his concert about the commercials. Yeah, uh, the McDonald's <laughs> jingle and all those kinds of things. But the, what he was is. fascinating was how many times he changed clothes backstage and came out in the middle of the concert. I mean, it was amazing what Barry Manilow was able to do. Anyway, that was really one of my all-time favorites. Well, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, what was your high school mascot? Cyclones. I was a Spartan at Moberly two years, and then I was a Cyclone at Russellville. Well, that makes sense, actually. You know, that part of the world, sometimes you hear my mascots, and you're like, really? Like, that's <laughs> got a lot of Vikings, did you, in Iowa? You know, that kind of thing. What's your superpower? What I mean by that is, like, what can you do that, like, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. We all have a superpower. We're all pretty good at doing or seeing pre- or thinking of things. But what, what's yours? I'm pretty, good. I'm pretty good at cards. Oh, I didn't know I, that. I play cards. Yeah. I bet you made some money then uh, serving in the, you know, in the guard out and about. I bet there's a few card games that were going on. You know, the card games I played were mainly games of strategy and not necessarily poker. Yeah. Uh, I probably don't have a good poker face, but uh, up here, you, you, I, you wouldn't have any reason to know this, but Fred Upton and Greg Walden and me – and usually somebody else we invite, some dummy that wants to come play, we, we would play hearts. Oh, I uh, love hearts. Yeah, and, it's a great and, game. And, and, and let me tell you, hearts is a – and if you – I play the Jack Diamonds version. I don't know what you play, but there's a Jack Diamonds version that adds another dimension to it. You know, instead of not wanting to get the queen, you want to get the Jack of Diamonds because that's automatically 10 points off your score. But and, and there's a strategy behind it. And i got to tell you this story. So Upton calls me one day, Fred's former Energy and Commerce chairman, Michigan, and uh, and his niece uh, yes. is, is Kate, <laughs> we all, is we Kate all, Upton, yes. uh, and ma- who married Justin Verlander. Right. And of course, I'm a huge baseball fan. So Upton calls me one day. And he well, says, and I'm hey, a huge Kate, Hudson, uh, Kate, yeah. Kate fan. Yeah, everybody yeah. is. So, Everybody's yeah. a Kate Upton fan. Anyway, yeah. so he calls me and he says, hey, where are you? And I said, well, I'm coming back from downtown. He says, well... Come to the speaker's balcony. I got somebody I want you to meet. So I show up at the speaker's balcony, and there's Kate Upton. And oh, by the way, there's Justin Verlander. And <laughs> and, and I spent more time back to the game of hearts. Okay, uh, 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 this says something about me. I, instead of over there, you know, just you know, falling head over heels in love with Kate Upton and getting pictures with her, I'm talking to Verlander, and because Upton says, Justin, this is my hearts player. This is the guy that <laughs> plays hearts with me. I'm trying to do my Upton. That does uh, sound like him. I get it. Yeah. It's pretty good. And Verlander says to me, hey, do you play, which version of hearts do you play? I said, well, I play the Jack Diamonds version. He says, well, I'm trying to learn that. Can you help me with it? So I'm standing over there coaching <laughs> Justin Verlander on the Jack Diamonds version of hearts. So now, whenever I see Verlander pitch, 
I tell my kids, tell my grandkids, I coached him. Yeah. And they look at me and they say, you coached Justin, a Cy Young? You coached Justin? Yeah, I coached him. Uh, well, not in baseball, right. but I coached him on the Jack Diamond's version of Hearts. But uh, yeah, yeah, well, being a pitcher, they probably play their, their fair share of cards. I mean, you're on the road. They it's a tough a life. Yeah. yeah. They do, yeah. You know what? And they're good people. I saw Kate Upton, my wife and I were traveling, and we were in some Delta crown room, I think, in Los Angeles, and she came in and... And uh, I, we didn't say anything. We just kind of left her alone. And uh, I told, but I told Fred Upton that he's like, "Why didn't you say something?" Like, yeah, well, we probably should. I didn't want to be. We didn't want to be those people. We didn't, didn't want to be one of those guys. Yeah. We didn't want to bug her. And you know, I'm, I would have been. Yeah, I would have been. <laughs> anyway, but she was very nice, and she was very nice to everybody. Uh, anyway, uh, nothing but good things to say. Pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Oh, just, I love pineapple on pizza. Well, not all the time. Not That's a mistake. Time. That's a mistake. We'll we'll work with you on that. Really? Yeah, everybody has their oh. shortcomings. Oh yeah, I love pineapple on pizza. Yeah, well, Arkansas. Come on. I mean, if you're, I, I buy that in Oahu, but maybe not here. So I, 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 I'm very disappointed to hear that. Just want you to know, judges don't like it. That's for sure. So. Okay. Well, hey, I'm just going to be honest with you, Jason. You need to try it. <laughs> Uh, I oh, I have. Put, that, that's why I'm so vehemently I, I, against it. I even put queen olives in my beer, okay? So <laughs> a lot of people frown at that. All right, last question. Best advice you ever got? Well, I have to go back to my dad. Uh, and I remember where and when. I was signing a contract with the U.S. Army to get into the advanced course of ROTC. I had to make a decision. Do I, get, do I sign the contract and commit myself to a commitment? Right. Or, or not. And my dad was on jury duty, Pope County Courthouse, Russellville, Arkansas. It's about 12 noon that day. I walked in, got him out of jury duty. He came down the stairs. He said, what do you need? I said, dad, I got to make a decision. I got to make it right now. Hmm. Do I stay in ROTC or not? Because I got to sign a contract. that's going to commit me to eight years of service. And he listened to me. And he said, "Well, obviously, young man, you're convict. You're you're you 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 just you're conflicted on this subject. But you've come to dear old dad and asked for his advice, and so I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to give you two words: blind faith. You need to go on blind faith. That if you go out there to that campus and sign that contract, and get in the advanced course, earn your commission." that you'll look back on it someday and say it was the best advice, some of the best advice you ever got. So Jason, in 2009, I retired from the military at the rank of Colonel, 30 years, five months and 19 days. And then a few years later, the day that I got my first retirement check from the military and I get one every month, I called up my dad, answered the phone. Hey, dad, do you remember the words blind faith? And he starts laughing. And I said, he said, yes, I do. And I said, well, dad, let me tell you something. I went on blind faith that day and I did 30 years in uniform. And now on my 60th birthday, I am receiving my first military retirement check. And had it not been for those two words and your sage advice, 
in that uh, summer day of 1977, I believe it was, um, we wouldn't be having this conversation about this subject. And my dad says, well, sometimes dad knows best. And, uh, and I knew right then what it had done for me, and I knew it would do the same thing for you. And, and you know, Jason, that's been, I'm now 60, almost 67, so that's been six or seven years ago that I made that phone call after I started receiving that check. And, and I get it every month, get my military uh, health care uh, also. It is, but, but aside from the retirement value and the health care, the leadership lessons, all of the things, the management and experience I got, the deployment, the friendships, all of the things that you get from a career in the military, I benefited from. And, uh, and so I'll never forget those words. Go on blind faith that it will be one of the smartest things you've ever done. And he was certainly correct. Well, thank you for your service. I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort, a lot of talent, but it's good people like you all across the country stepping up and doing it. And uh, can't thank you enough for that service. And uh, well, you're very kind, Jason. Thank you so much. Well, uh, thank you for joining us on the Jason Niles podcast. Really do appreciate it. Love the insight. Love the, the perspective on the, on the life and the contribution. And uh, you've been a great leader in Congress and Arkansas. And, and uh, give your best to your dad. I want to come back on his show. We'll figure that out. But uh, thanks again for joining us. We'll get that done. Jason, thank you so much. We miss you here in Washington, D.C., uh, but admire the work you've done in your post-congressional career. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, all the best to you and your family, okay? Thank you. Steve Womack, just a wonderful human being, and, you know, good people serving in Congress is what we need, and he served his his state, his nation, his, you know, his local neighborhood, his family. I just, he's just a, a wonderful good guy. I'm glad we could have that conversation with him. Learn a lot every time we do these types of things. Um, I'd appreciate it if you could rate the podcast. That would be really helpful. Rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. And I would remind people you can listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Thanks for listening again to this Jason in the House podcast. Uh, you can get more uh, from Fox News on the Fox podcast network over at foxnewspodcast.com foxnewspodcast.com and uh, again rate it review it subscribe to it we'll be back next week with another great guest i'm jason chaffetz and this has been jason in the house Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.